Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Uh, I want to say this. I want to thank our women's ministry headed by Sandra Bickham, who provided the roses and the photo booths for our ladies today. So thank you, ladies. So like I said, uh, we're celebrating women today in, in the life of our church. So moms, we appreciate you. Girls, we appreciate you. And I'm going to be talking about how God has created men and women to be complementary to one another. So in a minute, but I want to challenge you with this. Uh, guys, I need to say this to you. Guys, we're not going to ignore you. Uh, on, the, on June 17th, which is Father's Day, we're going to celebrate guys. Now, girls get roses and guys get bacon. So we're going to have a bacon tent on the 17th, okay? And some sausage. And some girls say, can we have bacon too? Of course you can have bacon. No guy wants a rose, but everybody wants bacon. So that's coming up on the 17th. So y'all look forward to that. Also, that's the day we're going to baptize in the creek. So you guys look forward to that. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to make a difference in an entire nation? Well, some of you say yes. Some of you go, okay, what are you talking about? This church... Little old First Baptist Church in little old bitty tiny Wimberley in the middle of the great nation of Texas. <laughs> We've been invited to make a difference in the nation of Cuba. 400 pastors to be trained, which means 400 churches to be equipped, which means several thousand believers and new believers in Cuba will be equipped by this church, this little church in the middle of nowhere in Texas. How exciting is that? Yeah. So the official, the official invitation has been given to us. The dates are August the 15th uh, through the 22nd. We're going to take a, a team, a select team down to do some particular training. We'll have we'll two conferences uh, for pastors 200 times each. And I'll be teaching them the basics of how to be a Building Lives Church that honors God. The very thing that we're doing to build people here in Wimberley, we're going to teach pastors in Cuba to do that. Now, there's some things we have measured that we will do. We will measure. We are only involved with people nationally and internationally based on three things. Relationships is first. We have to have a love relationship with pastors of local churches wherever we're going to reach out to. Okay, so it's pastor to pastor, church to church. And so we're about to have 400 brand new best friends. How's that sound? The second thing we want to do is to resource these relationships. And the resources doesn't necessarily mean money. Many times money hurts people from doing what they need to do to be self-sustaining. And the third thing we want to do is to reach people for King Jesus. So it's relationships, resourcing, and then finally reaching. All those three R's, and that's what we're going to do for Cuba. Now, this will be the first trip of many trips because we want to bring God's peace to the island nation of Cuba. That's partnering and planting uh, churches, partnering with churches and planting churches and pastors. That's the P. The E is to equip leaders. That's my job. I'm going to be going in and teaching these 400 pastors. I'll be translated into Spanish because I know hablo de espanol, y'all. Okay? <laughs> and so we have a great, a world-class translator who's going to be translating me. And then uh, we are equip servant leaders. We'll assist the poor. That's the A. We will, and, and that's some of you who are business-minded, who have micro-enterprises. There's no place like Wimberley that knows how to tell, take worthless stuff and sell it at market days like we do. <laughs> and Cuba could be blessed by your benefits and your knowledge. And then we're going to care for the sick. And finally, education of future generations, which spells God's peace. So there'll be opportunities with working with kids, opportunities, guys, of construction, 
I tentatively have a donor who's willing to donate $75,000 to build a retreat center on the Caribbean Ocean in Cuba. And so there's going to be an expertise on that. Now, I got to wrangle that money out of that donor, okay, y'all? And none of y'all. So you're going, are you talking about me? Maybe. But anyway, I guess somebody else. So this is all about building lives that honor God in the island nation of Cuba. Now, this is just the beginning. Listen to me very carefully. I hope, this, I hope it kind of scares you. I believe that God, I see a day when this church has five nations of the world that we're leaning into and building lives of. Five nations of the world. Now you say, well, Scott, we're just a little old nothing church. Yeah, but we serve a big old awesome God. And he takes the insignificant and he makes them significance. What starts here changes eternity. All for Jesus. Today, we're continuing the series. Uh, no, let me, let me finish that, though, because I just about didn't tell you the most important thing. We didn't plan for this, so we didn't budget for this. So this is not part of our budget. So over the next several weeks, I'm going to be asking you to give over and above to help fund this Cuba adventure. It's going to cost about $15,000. Knowing this congregation, probably in about two weeks, it'll be done, paid for so give over and above your regular giving. You can earmark it to Cuba Mission Project, and we'll make sure the right teams are built and the money is given to go the right direction. Are you all okay with that? Yeah, and I have approval of our advisors to make that to you under our structure, so off we go. All right, now, we've been in this series on hope for us, and over these last several weeks, and we only have two weeks left after this week, where we're talking about how God wants to build our relationships. Wyatt talked about unity on the first week, and then I, I talked about a Christocentric focus, a Christ-centered focus in changing our behavior. And then, um, then Joe Smith talked about uh, words that built up and not tear down and forgiving. And this week, we're going to be talking about really what does it mean to live in relational harmony and marriages and beyond and honoring the difference between men and women. How does God give us hope for each other? Well, let me say these things to you. And I wrote this down because I wanted to get it exactly right. We have a deep longing deep in the heart of every human being, every one of us. It's that longing to love and be loved, to know and be known. We are hardwired by God for community, for connection. We need it. This series on Hope for Us is all about us understanding the relationships and how God wants us to love each other and to honor each other and to love him and honor him. So relationships, what was God thinking? Why did he do what he did? You see, God is all about relationships and he wants our relationships to be transformed by our relationship with him through Jesus Christ. His connecting with us through Christ changes how we then connect with one another. And this is revealing the deepest part of the heart of God. As I look over my life, my life has been literally marked with relationships. I had the privilege of having amazing parents. My mom and my dad, just incredible godly people. I would go to bed at night listening to my mom and dad pray out loud and read scripture. Mostly it was my mama reading scripture, and I think she was trying to instruct my dad to be a better man. I think it worked because my dad was an incredible godly man, a leader in his church. He wasn't a pastor. He was a school principal. So I enjoyed school as the principal of the thing that gave me a hard time. <laughs> but my dad loved us and, and honored us. He loved my mom. He honored her. And I, I love my parents. I was blessed by them. 
I was having a conversation yesterday with my granddaughter, Ivy, who's three, and we were talking about mamas and families and marriage, and she was having a hard time believing that Papa was actually married to Gigi and that Papa was actually her mama's daddy, and so she's kind of all putting that together. And then she asked about my mom and my daddy, and I said, my mom and dad live with Jesus. And they do. They live with Jesus. And one day, Papa is going to live with Jesus. And then I talked to her about having Jesus in her heart, in my heart, and she says, Papa, I want Jesus to live in my heart too. And she, her little heart's already ready for the gospel, which is pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. And then into my life, I had great friendships high school, college friends. Uh, my college roommate, Mike Flowers, he's a circuit judge in Florida. I'm a preacher and he's a judge. Nobody would ever pick that out from us in college because we went to the wonderful Christian College of Florida State University. <laughs> the Berkeley of the South, You're the most liberal school there is. That's where we matriculated. Mike and I became buddies when we were like six years old and grew up together. And I was blessed by him and, him, and I, hopefully I was... He was blessed by me. I, I stood at his wedding. He stood at mine. I sang at his wedding. Thank God he didn't sing at mine. I mentioned he's a judge. And, and I helped him bury his first wife who died of cancer when she was 26. And celebrated the fact of his new marriage and his new life and stood with him when his father went to be with the Lord. And, and he stood with me when my dad and my mom both went to be with the Lord. And we just, we love each other. We have long friends. And I've got many, many friends like that. Uh, my friend Aaron Gober, who's been here to this church a few times, became buddies when we were in college. And it just, God has blessed me. Other friends, I can go on and on. Brian Brown and Kevin Kruger, I can go on and on. Just God's blessed me with that. And then um, into my life came the awesome, precious Tara. I remember the first time I saw her, I was at church. I wasn't there for the right reasons. Some of y'all ain't here for the right reasons. Today, you're here so you can eat lunch because mama said, if you don't go to church, I ain't feed you lunch. And so you're here because you're hungry. That's all right. I was at church. I remember I saw her. She had on a pair of jeans, so tight as she had a nickel in her pocket. The buffalo had had a headache. I mean, they were tight. <laughs> she ain't here, so I can tell that. <laughs> and she had on a pair of purple high heel shoes. And I said, who, who is that girl? I chased her for a year and a half. I asked her out four times before she went out with me. And I finally tricked her. And we married, and I am so blessed by this amazing, godly woman. And I thank God for her. And then into our life came our two little kids, Caleb and beautiful boy, brown, dark brown eyes, a gorgeous, handsome young man. And his wonderful little sister, Kayla, who is so much like her daddy. She is running the world. Don't be surprised one day when you hear she's the president of HEB because she's working that way. She's amazing. And I love that little girl. And she married John. And John, if I could have searched the whole world over, I couldn't have found a better son-in-law than John Peace. Our family needed some peace, so we got some John Peace. And he's a blessing to us. And then they had those two little girls. A little, that little Ivy who's so smart and gorgeous and full of life. And she spent the night with Papa Gigi last night and she kept Gigi up and Papa slept. <laughs> and she, I love that little girl. And we're going we're gonna to play together this afternoon. We're going to swim and have a good time. Oh, by the way, I have become officially a Wimberlyite. I have 
I have bathed in the Blanco River. We went down and got in the river this week twice. Don't drink the water. I've been in the river, all right? But we're going to enjoy each other. And then into my life, great mentors like Pastor Bill Coppin, who was a young man. I was 25. I joined his staff, and he poured life into me for six years and prepared me to be a pastor, and I'm thankful for him. And then I had the privilege of pastoring great churches in Victoria, Texas, a nothing church, 39 people meeting in the mall. And God grew it to a church, a regional church of thousands. And we influenced the nations from that, from Victoria, from nowhere. God used us and then God threw us into Canada where I could wear a suit, not sweat to death like I am today. And mama, the only reason I got on a suit is because of you and you're going to see it again next year, this weekend. All right. I'll be back in my jeans next week. And God sent us there and we saw God build lives. And then he brought us back to Alabama and we helped revitalize a very broken church. But I have very dear friends there. And then I was done. I'm, I want pastoring again. I was going to go help pastors and leaders all over the world. That was my calling. That's what I felt God wanted me to do. In two years, I did that. Wrote a book. Went all over the world with Africa a few times. All over this nation helping pastors. And then if God in his wisdom did not send me to you. And you lowered your standards and you let me in. <laughs> and I am so incredibly grateful for you. You have made my life rich. Thank you. You have loved Tara and I and accepted us. And I want to say this to you. I pastored some great churches, but I've never pastored a more loving church than this church. And that's probably just because we're in the honeymoon. Y'all going to get over it soon, right? <laughs> but I'm so grateful for you and so grateful for what God's doing in and for and through us. And it's exciting. And I say all of this to say this, that God wants us to enjoy the fullness of each other. God wants us to, to enjoy relationships Listen to what Jesus, what God said through Paul in the book of Romans. Let us love, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing, what's that last word? You know what honor means? Honor means setting aside my preference for you. Honor literally means you first. You first. If I have that attitude in my relationships, they're enriched by me. If I have the attitude it's all about me, then I become dysfunctional. If the church has the attitude, you first, then we become the hope of the world. If we have the attitude it's about me, we become dysfunctional. And there's nothing more toxic in the world than the dysfunctional body of Christ. Outdo one another by showing honor. Now, that all sounds well and good, but this is hard to do. It's very difficult. And the reason is, is because of sin. Sin. Sin breaks our close relationship with God, and it breaks our close relationship with each other. My biggest problem is that I am selfish. And I'm not Christ-like. But the good news is that Jesus died on the cross to break the grip of sin in my life. And he gives me a new heart and a new life and a new reason to live if I let him do in me what he wants to do. I constantly have to say, Jesus, 
I'm yours. So that my life will be radically different by him. We have restoration with God so we can have restoration with one another. So this morning, we're going to dive in deeper into Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through following. And we're going to see what God is talking about in embracing the differences between men and women and embracing the relational reality of the richness of who we are and who we can be in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray that you'll speak through me in the brevity of time. Father, help me to cut out the nonsense and noise and deliver your truth to these people in a way that they can understand it and hear it and live in truth. Thank you for how powerful and good you are. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to go ahead and take your Take the Weekend With You notes out of your, your bulletin. You might want to jot down some things. Remind you there's scripture that goes with, for every day of this week that goes along with this message. Talks about mutual submission. But I want to go through this as quickly as I can because I know you want to get to lunch. And, and dead gum preacher has been so long-winded all weekend that I want to preach quicker today, okay? Are you all with me on that one? Y'all can pray for a lot of things. You might as well go ahead and pray for snow so that'll all happen too. All right, let's start. Here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. It starts off in verse 21. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now I talked about that briefly last week. What does that word submit means? It's the Greek word hupotasso and it means to fall under, willingly fall under rank and order. That I'm going to willingly give up my rights and privileges out of reverence for Christ and will willingly give them up to you. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm coerced or it doesn't mean I'm manipulated. That doesn't mean I'm dominated or allowed to be dominated. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to willingly give up my rights and privileges for you. I'm going to live the essence of honor and that's found in submission. That's what I'm going to do. Why am I going to do this? Because we are created in God's image and from that image we find the, the longing for connection. God wants us to be connected, and I cannot be connected if I'm selfish. I become dysfunctional if I'm selfish. So God says, I know in your heart you want this, but you can't let it be all about you. One of the signs of immaturity is self-centeredness. Hang around any two-year-old and you'll see it. Give me, it's mine. Our three-year-old, our 55-year-old. The root of that is sin. So let's go back to the garden. Let's see what God was thinking and what God was doing as he put man and woman there and how to break the script. Then God said, this is Genesis 1, 26, right at the start. Then God said, let us make, let us make, us. It's an interesting word. Has God turned into the queen of England all of a sudden? No. He's referring to himself in the plural because God exists in the plurality of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God manifested three distinct persons dwelling together in the perfection of unity. The Father, the Son, the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier, the Holy Spirit. Not in modalism where they have each mode and it's one with different function, but in the beauty of the community of unity. Now, I don't have time this morning to unpack the theology of the Trinity. So Dan Stevens will be available afterwards to host a seminar on the Trinity right after this gathering. See, Dan's right there and he's thinking, my pastor is an idiot right now, I can read his mind. But, um, 
But there's the doctrine there. Let us make human beings in our own image to be like us in connection in the spirit of unity of community. He desires for us to be in unity. And they will rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on earth and small animals that scurry along the ground. That's why we as believers should should be concerned about our planet greater than anybody else. Not that we worship creation, but we've been governed over creation. We should be responsible. And then God blessed him and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. The earth was created for us, not us for the earth. And therefore we have a responsibility. Because we're spiritual beings first and foremost, when God created us, he created us these eternal beings. We have eternity in mind. I want you to look around. Look around the room. Look around the room. Just look around the room. Just look, go ahead and look around the room. Y'all not looking. Y'all stared at me. What the, what's this fool going to do now? Listen. Look around the room. You're going to spend eternity with these folks. Now, some of them. Just saying. You spend eternity with these folks. Often when I lead somebody to accept Christ, I'll say, hey, I got good news and bad news for you. I said, you just received Jesus as your Savior. They said, that's right. I said, the good news, you're going to spend eternity with Jesus. They said, that's right. I said, the bad news, I'm going to be there too. And they're thinking, I'm hoping heaven's really big, like you on the other side. But the truth, that's the truth. God has made us to be eternal creation, eternal creatures. This life is preparation for the next life. As we learn to live in respect and honor, and this is what heaven's going to be like. We're, this is the warm-up for this eternality. Now, because God is relational, he's created us to be relational beings. Now, men and women are the same in creation, but they're to be complementary to one another and not in competition to one another. Now, there's this theology, this theological stance that goes, it says complementarian or egalitarian. What in the world does that mean? Complementarianism believes that God has created men and women to have different functions and roles in life. Egalitarian says men and women are the same and they can function in the similar roles and regulations of life. Now, the problem with that is that physiologically and sociologically and mentally, men and women are very different. How can we be egalitarian when God has created us to be complementary? Hmm. Does that mean one is better than the other? No. Listen to me. In salvation, we are equal to Christ. But in creation, God has made us to complement and not compete. We are very different in the way we're created. Well, what do you mean, Scott? Well, let me tell you. I've talked about this before, but it's been a while, and you slept, and you forgot. But I'm going to reteach this to you. The Hebrew name for man is Ish, I-S-H. And it literally means this, the one now, remember when I talk about Hebrew words, they're words that paint a word picture, a word picture. Ish means the one who pierces. Now, physiologically, we can figure that out. If you have trouble with that, see Dan. He'll be glad to tell you about that. Or Jonathan, I think you're the expert on, on that. Okay, so physiologically, he's a math teacher, so don't ask him. So physiologically, we can figure out that, but more than physiologically, that means the man is an initiator. He's a pursuer. He's a protector, a provider. He is to provide for women in his life what they cannot provide for themselves. Esteem, love, nurture, care, 
to pursue them. Now, notice I said I asked Tara out four times before she went out with me. I was ishing after her. I was pursuing her. You know what? We've been married. It'll be 37 years this summer. I'm still chasing that girl because I love her. She's my ish. Ah, which is the Hebrew name for woman, Ish-ah. Now, Ish-ah means this. It means the one who is pierced. Now, physiologically, we understand that as well, but it goes beyond that. That means a woman is the one who receives. She's the receiver. She's more aware of things and relationships than men are. She's aware of her surroundings when men are not. Men are not. I counted our pillows on the bed today. It's 13. Can anybody top 13? Don't raise your hand. Oh, you raise your hand. Yeah, Michael, I'm so sorry for you. We have a ministry of exclusion for you that we'll, we'll invite you to. 13. Now, why in the world do you need 13 pillows on the bed? Because she's ish ah. And so what I should I do? Shut up. And so let me, let me explain why this is the, why it's the different, why it's important. That a woman is to provide for the man what he cannot provide for himself, and he is to provide for the woman what she cannot provide for themselves. And so what she needs is love and nurture and care and pursuit. And what she needs to give back is respect and honor. Mm-hmm. There's a chemical in our brain, in our bodies, called testosterone. And testosterone is what makes little boys little boys. And when little boys are in their mama's womb and God says, you're going to be a little boy, he washes testosterone over a little boy's brain. And when that testosterone washes over his brain, it literally kills brain connectors between spheres of brain. Men, we are brain damaged. Now, little girls, they don't have that. So their brains are, they're good. They have good brains. And in their good brains, they can multitask. They can see all the stuff. We cannot multitask. We cannot see any stuff. If Tara moves the mayonnaise in our, in our refrigerator, I'm lost. Where's the mayonnaise? It could be a snake and bit my head off, but I can't find it because she moved it. And she's ish odd. She can see everything at one time. I can't. That's the difference between men and women. Does that explain a lot to y'all? You're talking to him and he's watching football. And he's going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he's slobbering down his cheek, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you say, you ain't listening to me. He goes, huh? Because he's ish and he can't hear the ish while he's watching football. We got a one-track mind. What you have to do is turn off the game, stand in front of me. He said, are you listening to me, sweetheart? Uh-huh. Okay. Now, if he's eating, forget it. He can't do that too. Just the testosterone. We're brain damaged, okay? And now, you wouldn't make fun of handicapped folks, would you? So girls, give us a break, all right? Now, I say it's kind of silly, but it's really true. And so we're to complement one another, not compete with one another. In the church, we have different roles for men and women. Is that to say one's better than another one? No, listen to me. Any attitude that elevates one sex over another one is sinful, is sinful. There's a word floating around today called misogyny. I had no idea what the word was. It means an extreme prejudice against women. 
What the heck are we thinking? None of us would be here without women. I mean, really, none of us would be here without women, right? So why do we have prejudice against them? Why do we try to dominate? Why do men try to dominate women? Why do men, women try to dominate men? Because it's sin. It's sin. And we need to deal with that sin. Now, we've heard a lot lately about the Me Too movement. But it's not just affecting women, it's affecting men. And there's dominance going on when God wants honor to go on. I cannot look at my sisters as objects of my lust. I have to look at them as sisters that are beloved by God. And women cannot look at their brothers as objects of their lust or for their money. But to look at them as brothers and loved by our God. It changes us. When we view things God's way. We have to change our view of our relationships from the world's view to God's view. Then life works. Here's the curse. God said to the woman, this is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. They ate the fruit. They got in trouble. Sin fell. They hide from God. God says, where are you? He knew where they were. And then he curses them with the sin curse. And he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. Hold on a second. How did the woman even know what childbirth was? Maybe, some theologians say, maybe she had had children already in the garden. Now, I'm not saying I had that, hold that position, but that's kind of interesting. This would explain where Cain got his wife from if there were more children born in the garden. We don't know how long they existed in the garden before they sinned. Could have been two weeks. It could have been 200 years. We don't know. And, but one thing we do know, girls, and you know it to be true, if you're going to have a baby, it's going to hurt. And until it comes, comes forth... It's going to aggravate you with discomfort until it, and the longer it stays in your belly, the more uncomfortable you become. Is that not right? Now, I have personally not had any children, but I've watched children incubate in my wife, and I've watched our oldest son, Caleb, get so big that he broke her ribs kicking in her womb. Now, my wife, Tara, is a warrior. She had two children that were over nine pounds apiece, Without any anesthetic at all. Natural childbirth. I will not get in a knife fight with that woman. She is tough. That's all I can say. She was destined to be a Texas. She's a pioneer woman. I mean, unbelievable. But it hurt. It's painful. It's the sin curse. Then there's, it goes to song. But it says this. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will control you. The desire for you as women to dominate your husband is sinful. Now, it's very interesting, the word desire there. The King James Version makes it sound like it's sexual desire. Even though having children hurts, you're still going to be with that old hairy-legged boy. No, that's not what it means. It means this, girls. It means the desire for the intimacy you experienced in the garden before sin came. You see, before sin, they were naked and not ashamed. There was intimacy. There was a, the heart and the soul of interconnection with one another. They were in the perfection of a sinless relationship. Hmm. But he won't let you. So men, when men dominate, now I'll say this to you, okay? Paul was writing to a group of people 
that, that said women were objects. And he elevated women. Christ elevates women. Christianity is probably the only religion in the world that doesn't dominate women but liberates women. Wow. Islam doesn't do that. Judaism doesn't do that. Hinduism doesn't do that. Buddhism doesn't do that. Christ does this. Elevates women. Listen to what Satan, what God said to the man because of sin. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat from. In other words, Adam, you did not lead your home. And you messed up. The ground is cursed because of you. Now, this little caveat means this. Guys, you're going to try to get your worth out of what you do and what you possess and what you own. That's why you want to own your wife. It's sinful. It's the sin curse. And it will grow thorns and thistles for you, although you eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you'll have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, and you're going to return to dust. You're going to find the futility of trying your significance from your vocation instead of your relationships, and you're going to try to rule over these things and, and be dominant, and it's not going to work. But Jesus came to break the curse. And on the cross, the great divide between men and women was shattered. And on the cross, hope for us to return to the garden has been ushered in. So the instructions for a renewed relationship, Paul talks about in these next passages. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In other words, in the same kind of relationship Christ has to the Father, and love and honor and mutual submission, submit to your husbands. Now, this is a willingly decision. It doesn't say submit to all men. In fact, ladies, you're not to submit to any man other than your husband. Now, teenage girls, you remember that. Till you have a husband, don't you be listening to that stuff from them. You submit to Jesus and then your husband. And this is a willingly thing. But listen to me, guys. This does not preclude us from submitting to our wives because 21 says mutual submission. Y'all got that? It ain't be like, woman, well, I'm the head of this house. Yeah, she, when I say that, she shows me the foot of this house. In fact, when Tara and I argue, I always have the last word. It's yes, dear, you were right. <laughs> because she's ish ah, and she typically is right, and I need to learn that. Husbands, a wife's, okay, let me finish. For a husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself as Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. What if your husband's abusive? Get away from him. Let's help you. Husband, what if your wife's abusive? Get away from her. Let's help you. Because that's not honoring to anyone. Mm. Husbands, love your wives. Love them. Love them. As Christ loved the church, he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, and that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle in any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. 
What does this mean? This means my spiritual condition influences my wife. And when I love her like Christ loves the church, I take away her guilt and her shame and her tarnishment of maybe the world and sin around her. I remove her past hurts by loving her. I was counseling with a couple and had discovered that she had experienced childhood sexual abuse. And her husband says, she ain't nothing but damaged goods. Needless to say, their marriage didn't survive. His love, his love would restore her. But his dishonor destroyed her. Love your wife as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for it. In the same way, a husband should love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself because we're flesh of one flesh, bone of one bone. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cares for it. Gosh, I need to nourish and cherish my wife just as Christ does the church because we're members of his body. And then Paul quotes Genesis here. When, Paul, when, when Moses said this, therefore a man shall leave his mother and mother and hold fast, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that this refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Guys, the greatest gift for your wife is unconditional love. And women, the greatest gift you can give your husband is unconditional love respect. I know this happens. Week after week, you critique my, my preaching. I know it. Some of y'all have fried preacher for lunch. <laughs> but you know, the only person I care about who is impacted by my message, first of all, the Lord, second of all, is my, my Tara. I found a box of eggs in our closet. This is a joke, so bear with me. There were two eggs in a stack of cash. Tara said, every year you preached a good sermon, I put an egg in there, and after you got a dozen, I sold them. Okay, never mind. Bad joke. Okay. Bad joke. It's supposed to be the other way around. All right, so here's some instructions for, uh, for men and women. Men, and I'm going to flip it, talk about men first. Three moves a man must make to make to build a married relationship. This is this, flesh of one flesh. That means I have to pursue her in sexuality and relationships. That means there cannot be anyone closer to me than my wife. My high school buddies, my dear least buddies, nobody is closer to me than Tara, period. I pursue her by leaving and cleaving. That's a relational connection. In other words, I can't let my mama or my daddy dominate our marriage. Some of you, the healthiest things you could do is to move a thousand miles away from your parents. Don't blame me if you have to do that. And the third thing is naked and without shame. That's a spiritual connection. I leave my journal out so my wife can read it. I want her to see me pursuing God. Now, I want to say this to you. I think you, some of you may be going, what? Tara and I have a hard time reading the Bible together. We do. 
So we have to figure out another way that we can pursue God together. And we have. Let me tell you why we have a hard time reading the Bible together. Because somebody wants to preach every time they read the Bible. And somebody else don't want to listen to it. And then after he preaches, he tries to take an offering, and that ain't working either. <laughs> Just saying, okay? So we found a different rhythm where Tara's studying. And you know what Tara loves to do? She loves to give me material to help me be a better speaker. And she's involved with me in this. My wife knows more about church and people and leadership than I do. When the pastor search team here interviewed me, they said this, we ought to hire Tara and just have to put up with you, which is probably true, and I thank God for that. So male dominance then is not of God. Male servanthood is of God. And I'm to provide for my wife what she cannot provide for herself, and that complements her for the glory of God. Instruction for women, let him love you. Let him. Allow your husband to lead you and love you. He's not to rule over you. He's not your boss. There's a big difference. Any actions that dominates or demeans or controls your spouse is not of the Lord. Is not of the Lord. Everything has to be rooted in honor. In honor. And the wife should provide for her husband what he cannot provide for himself. And this married relationship reflects the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, guys, on Thursday, we're having a minute first gathering, and I'm going to be talking to you about biblical manhood. We're going to eat something, 6.30. We're going to eat something. We're going to discuss and lean in together, and it's a night you don't want to miss. So Thursday night here on this campus, student building, I think we're having chicken wings. A chicken had to give its life for you Thursday night, and we're going to talk together. So you guys come to that. And we're talking about biblical manhood. And I just forgot what I was going to say. Let me circle back and look at my notes. It says, in this long message now, <laughs> what's saying, okay, is this, that because I provide for my wife what she does not provide for herself, this is a reflection of Jesus and the church. You see, Jesus wasn't married. Do you know why he wasn't married? Because he had a bride already. It's the church. I was going to take time to read to you John 14, 1 through 6, but I don't have time. But it says something like this. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house were many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you. That where I am, you will be also. And you know where I'm going. You know the way. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, I didn't have time to tell you all that. But you know what that was? That was a wedding proposal speech a Jewish groom would give to his bride. And those disciples went, did he just propose to us? Yes. And we are the bride of Christ. And he's preparing us to present a spotless and without blemish because of the cross. So the cure is this. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature and not yet cut, was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave your sins. He canceled the record of your charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed authorities. He shamed them publicly. That's the culture. He shamed the culture publicly by his victory over them by the cross. The cross takes us back 
to the garden. The cross is the pathway of relationship honor. I can live different because I have been redeemed. Mutual submission in order to complement is rooted in the cross. Wow. It changes my marriage. It changes my world. It changes how I love you. See, it's vertical to God and horizontal to each other. All for Jesus. And then we can, as the church, be reconcilers. I'll be talking about that in, in the next series, how we are called by God to be reconcilers. And then we could be a people of honor and hope and life. And our families can be that. And our world can be that. And our lives could be that. And we should never settle for relational division. Never settle for relational vision. You see, there's a deep longing in the heart of every human, a longing to love and be loved, to know and be known. We're looking for connection. What we're looking for is Jesus. I'm so excited about going into Cuba and teaching these pastors how to love each other and love their people because Cuba suffers from cultural machismo. I'm looking forward to women being elevated and free when men learn to be godly men. And for men to be freed from objectification when women learn to live all for Jesus. This is what the cross does. So what's your next steps? I don't know. But let me give you some suggestions. These are the next steps I'm going to take. First of all, I'm going to admit... I'm going to admit that I've not viewed my sisters and my brothers with the proper view. And I'm going to admit the fact that I'm not outdone showing love and honor. I'm going to admit that. And then I'm going to repent. It means I want to do something different. What am I going to do different? I'm going to agree with God. And I'm going to love deeply from the heart. I'm going to pursue my ish'ah. I tell you what else I'm going to do. I will be your daddy. I will love you, care for you, lead you. I'm going to commit to be a better man for your sake, all for Jesus. Because I want Jesus to use my life. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Whatever you do, do it now. Because what we do here changes eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word and the truth of your word. And Father, I pray that we will not leave here the same, but we will leave here eternally altered by the renewing of our minds and the submission of our souls to you, King Jesus. Help us, O oh God, to be different because we encountered you. Folks, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Maybe many of you are like me and you need to be reminded personally, Jesus, I'm yours. And make a, make a prayer of recommitment. Jesus, I'm yours. I don't want to play games with you. I want to follow you. I want to love you. I am broken. I am needy. I am helpless. But Father, I have you and you are not needy and you are all powerful and I submit myself to you and I need your power in my life. Jesus, 
I'm yours. Maybe for some of you in this room, for the first time in your life, you need to give your life to King Jesus. You need to trust him as your savior. You need him to live in your heart. Will you pray this with me? Jesus, I'm yours. I give my life to you. Thank you for dying for me and forgiving my sins, being raised again, and I believe in you. Jesus, I'm yours. I don't know the condition of your heart, but God does. And I pray that we will not leave here the same, but we will be changed by the power of God's love. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we are yours. We pray this is in your name. Amen.